great offers and a great podcast? What a day. Thank you, sponsors. We appreciate it. This is an ICRT podcast. We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined today here in Taipei by Sean Su. Uh, It's great to be back. And from Kaohsiung on the telephone by Michael Smith. Good evening. And tonight we'll be discussing DPP Taoyuan mayoral candidate Lin Jen facing more problems following the closure of the Shinzu Baseball Stadium just two days after it reopened following renovation. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs saying it's received an official notification from Japan on the upcoming state funeral for former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe and questions now over who the government will send to attend the event to represent Taiwan there. News at the Lithuanian Trade Office in Taiwan will open in September September, and a survey which shows that confidence in the lay judge system is now growing. But we'll begin with Taiwan being the focus of international headlines this week amid ongoing speculation that US House Speaker Nancy Pelosi could visit the island next month and also because of US President Joe Biden's call with China's leader Xi Jinping. That call took place overnight, Taiwan time today, and saw Xi warning Biden against playing with fire over Taiwan. Now, according to China's state media, Xi told Biden that the United States should abide by the One China Principle and he stressed that China firmly opposes Taiwanese independence and interference of external forces. Now, a White House statement said that Biden told Xi that Washington's Taiwan policy has not changed and the United States strongly opposes unilateral efforts to change the status quo or undermine peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait. Now, prior to that phone call, US lawmakers earlier this week had been busy urging Pelosi to ignore objections by Beijing and the Biden administration and visit Taiwan. Now, Republican representatives Tom Tiffany and Scott Perry jointly sent a letter to Pelosi saying as the Speaker of the House of Representatives she doesn't need the approval of a foreign dictatorship or the State Department to talk to US allies. Republican Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick took to Twitter to call on Pelosi to travel to Taiwan arguing that she needs to show strength and not cower to the bullying of the Chinese Communist Party. And US Republican Representative Michael McCall, he told NBC News on Wednesday that Pelosi invited several other top lawmakers to join her on her visit to Taiwan, while the Washington Post ran an op-ed piece by Josh Rogan saying that the US military is devising options for protecting Pelosi's delegation should she visit Taipei, and Rogan said those measures, including moving aircraft carriers or sending fighter planes for close air support to protect the military plane she would be flying on. Now, Biden administration officials were reportedly working quietly over the past several days to convince Pelosi of the risks of visiting Taiwan. And Defence Secretary Lloyd Austin said that he's provided Pelosi with his assessment of the security situation. In Beijing, commentators there were warning of a shocking military response if Pelosi visited Taiwan. And, well... Amid all of that, Pelosi's office has still not commented on the matter. But this morning, just about three hours ago here, NBC News cited sources as saying that Pelosi's Taiwan itinerary to her Asia trip is only currently tentative.
Meanwhile, here in Taiwan, Premier Su Jung Chung on Wednesday thanked Pelosi for her long-time support and extended an invitation to any friendly foreign guests who want to visit the island, adding that the government will make careful arrangements for visitors with respect to their plans. But the Presidential Office and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs remain silent on the matter. So, Sean, lots of talk there in the international press about Taiwan, lots of warnings about China in the international press, and Biden and Xi sitting down for a talk that basically in which they said what we knew in the first place. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I do think that Pelosi's office will, you know, uh, call this tentative until after, uh, uh, you know, uh, Xi Jinping and Biden finish their talks as to not preclude or try to affect that as much as possible. However, I also think that we cannot coddle China. Uh, You know, the definition or not the definition, but the behavior of authoritarian or totalitarian nations are on paper pretty much the type to uh, uh, always bandy about and make you know a commotion about all sorts of things that it doesn't want because ultimately I think China will have a great advantage if the United States starts self-policing so if we coddle China you know uh, we're actually rewarding them uh, with bad behavior you can we can look at all the be- you know we could look at Russia we could look at Nazi Germany and all these other uh, uh, authoritarian states. Um, you know, if we uh, appease China by not having state visit, uh, certain visits, by not having, uh, by limiting our own speech, by doing all these things to make sure China's happy, then pretty much down the line we're asking for us to do absolutely nothing while if China invades Taiwan. Uh, there are people now with careers speculating over every tiny action by China as a reason to be fearful, as, you know, like they're reading tea leaves or conjuring spirits. And, you know, so recently China tested a long-range drone. I, I think, welcome to the 21st century. That's a natural military evolution. But they're ty- trying that to specific events like, ah, but, you know, um, you know, Tai recently you know, visitor worship or, you know, these things happen. So this is a signal. This is a message. This is this or that, you know, Xi Jinping way five times instead of four. This indicates his, you know, they're, they're speculative too much. And I just feel that, you know, the United States should be, should, its people should be allowed to visit whoever they want. Um, you know, it's a democracy. Biden, you know, China keeps telling uh, the U.S., well, Biden must tell Pelosi this or that. But that's not how a democracy works, you know. Uh, just about seven hours ago or some, somewhat, it was reported by NBC that, you know, uh, Pelosi had asked both Democrats uh, and certain Republicans uh, to join her trip, but they said due to scheduling conflicts, they cannot. Uh, I do feel that if the United States uh, coddles China in this instance, it creates a new precedent. This, if Pelosi does not eventually visit Taiwan, this would actually indicate that China has the power to prohibit future visits. Uh, this means that the United States is almost consultory uh, towards China's behavior on whether to do that. And I feel that that's a slippery, slippery slope down the line. Uh, what happens if you know so and so visits Japan, or so and so wants to visit a certain uh, person's funeral, for example, um, in Japan, uh, or 
maybe South Korea, China might say that's a new red line. So you give a little, and China asks for a mile. So I don't think um, I think the visit should continue, should go ahead. I don't think anybody truly believes China will declare war. Uh, will they try something brash? Well, the military said it might. Uh, the U.S. military said it might. You know, uh, create some buffer zones. They might not. They likely won't announce this uh, visit ahead of time. Uh, it was indeed leaked, so um, you know it's going to be like the previous visits uh, by U.S. officials recently, and they'll just pop up and they'll just show up pretty fast with little warning. Uh, that's safest for everybody. You know, they don't need to publish their itinerary for everyone to hear. Right. So I agree with uh, the majority of what uh, Sean has to say. And I just want to address real quick the criticisms that I've been hearing from the other side of the aisle, so to speak. So Nancy Pelosi is 82 years old, and she is not going to be speaker again, even if the Democrats were to somehow take the House. It's very unlikely that she would be elected. She's moving towards retirement. And uh, a visit like this would put her in the history books. The last time that a sitting speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives came to Taiwan was Newt Gingrich back in 1997, when he met President uh, Lee Dong-hui, I believe, for a, a short time then. So there's also criticism of the Biden administration's not being in sync, and he's saying one thing, the military saying another thing, her saying another thing. But yes, uh, overall, I agree with Sean that we can't coddle China. And I think, actually, this situation has been taken out of our hands in some regards because it was announced on Tuesday that uh, Republican House Minority Leader currently, Kevin McCarthy, who is slated to become the next Speaker of the House, should they win, he says that uh, regardless of whether she comes or not, he's going to go to Taiwan if he becomes speaker. So the, the gauntlet has been thrown down, so to speak, and uh, it's, it, it looks like it's going to happen. So now the question is, what will China actually do? And I haven't been following the domestic Chinese uh, media coverage of this, and I don't know if they're using the same strident terms that they're using for the international media. I don't know if they're talking about unprecedented military operations for the domestic audience. Perhaps they've toned it down a little bit in China and just, you know, done their usual, hurt the feelings of blah, 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 blah. So things that they could possibly do, right, we, 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 we can speculate about them, and people are speculating about them, include things like a no-fly zone, which seems uh, impractical because that would put you in uh, immediate conflict with the, the U.S. Air Force, and that means essentially war. But um, if I had to uh, speculate, which I am going to do, um, I, would, I would say that, that China is going to respond to... Uh, the Speaker of the House, whether it's this one or the next one coming, in a way that they haven't done before. They have to uh, demonstrate that they're not a paper tiger. And America has to also demonstrate the same thing. So it's a dangerous situation, and um, it's unhappy for both sides. But in the end, Sean is correct. Uh, a democracy cannot uh, coddle a dictatorship and... American officials have the right to go wherever they want, which is an interesting thing that uh, China doesn't seem to be able to wrap their head around. The fact that Biden can't just tell Pelosi not to go seems to be a shocking uh, thing for uh, China. And Sean, I mean, do you think some of these Republican politicians in America are using this for their own political gain? 
rather than actually going, we care about the people of Taiwan. It's very hard to, to figure out whether or not, uh, you know, because the Republican Party has so many members, it's very hard to determine if uh, every last one of them, you know, really cares about Taiwan or not. I do know for a fact that some of them actually genuinely care about Taiwan, but I also know that there are some that only care about, or they're more anti-China, or they prefer China as the boogeyman, much the same way China always says all the problems around the world is due to the U.S. or CIA. Um, does this necessarily mean that Taiwan doesn't need them as allies? Of course, Taiwan needs them as allies. And in terms of whether or not uh, the GOP is uh, genuine on Taiwan, I think this is now a bipartisan issue. Uh, there was a long time ago where engagers with China would claim that ah, we only need to coddle China more. We need to, you know, China will democratize if we hollow out the manufacturing industry in the United States and move it to China. They will democratize. They did not. And other things that that should be said is that uh, we we need, we also really need to consider that um, you know in in the early two thousands. Uh, as you know, China already said for the longest time, if Taiwan ever announced independence, it would be a red line. But throughout uh, the last 20 years, there's been quite a lot of uh, DPP officials, especially presidents, who've come out and said that, you know, Taiwan is an independent and sovereign nation already. And what was the reaction by China? Pretending it never happened. So if we actually just uh, uh, come out and say like, oh, okay, you know, Pelosi's visiting and stuff. China will have several options, but because it controls complete state media, uh, uh, it has full control of the media in China, they could absolutely just pretend it didn't happen or mark some sort of thing to say like, aha, look, you know, and downplay Pelosi's visit. Uh, and if they're going to do something and they have to do something, that's such a broad spectrum. It could be more angry rhetoric. It could be some sort of trade tax. It could be a tariff. It could be, you know, it, there's a billion things they could do other than a shooting war. So, um, you know, maybe not that much of it really matters. However, uh, they could also do what a lot of authoritarian nations do, just round up a couple of Americans and say, aha, you know, they did a crime and hold them hostage. Uh, we don't know what will happen. Or they could take the Dongzhan Islands and make a nice little show of that and make it a, a first uh, actual significant uh, uh, warning. So you're completely right. The options are numerous. Yeah. And Michael, what about the people here? Oh, uh, as in whether or not the as Taiwanese are, are really paying attention? As in, are they paying attention? And if one of these Americans comes and causes a bit of a kerfuffle, of course, it will be the people here that have to face the consequences militarily. Right. Uh, it's something that I uh, often uh, mention when I speak to um, expats or people who uh, loudly ag advocate things like an immediate declaration of independence or something. I always tell them, well, you know, you'll probably be put on a plane and evacuated back to your home country, but it's my relatives and um, they're, they're going to have to deal with the, the consequences of, of what you're proposing. So, yeah. But as to the first section of it, um, no, uh, I don't think there's a huge amount of interest in it. There, there usually isn't. Um, all the other times that the planes have landed in the middle of the night, it's been covered by the news, of course, the news media. This time around, it is in the, the top news stories, but you, you don't hear, you know, it's not like people are discussing it on the street or anything. And um, I, from what I've heard so far, it kind of breaks down pretty much on uh, partisan lines. There was Alex Tsai, the, the KMT 
a legislator on uh, a television show the other day saying that this is all a publicity stunt. And uh, so it seems like the blue side is more in favor of calling this uh, unnecessary provocation and uh, stupid or things like this, whereas the deep green side is like, you know what, we need to call this bluff because it's about time. So in the middle is where the majority of the Taiwan population sits, and they're sort of confused. That's how I would put it. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of Taiwanese people who will be like, okay, well, they're just doing this thing. But the Pan Blues downplaying it is actually, I think, a preview of what the CCP might do, which is also downplay the visit. Maybe if Pelosi said something that was a little bit off, they might make fun of her for that. Let's not forget that a long time ago, Pelosi did visit China, went to uh, Tiananmen Square. I think she dropped some roses or flowers or something to commemorate them, which was unexpected. And China's response was to uh, ruffle up some reporters, including our own Mike Chinoy here in Taiwan. So, you know, uh, that that might be the effect of it, you know, where just uh, China just says, you know, hey, uh, Pelosi's, we don't like her. Look, her speech sucked. And that was a terrible visit. Nothing happened. You know, it's obvious the U.S. cannot change uh, the inevitable course of, of, of um, the future, which is a unified China, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Incidentally, um, in that conversation that I saw on television with Alex Tsai, he referred to her as like a Lao Tai Tai or something like this. And uh, ICRT commentator Ross Feingold was also on the panel, and he challenged uh, Alex Tai, saying that, you know, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, she's the Speaker of the House. That's the third most important uh, position in the United States government, and you should so show some respect. And uh, legislator Tsai was like, oh, you don't understand Taiwanese culture. That's an honorific. We were duh, 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 duh. <laughs> But he wasn't using it as an honorific. And everyone that uh, watches that can see that clearly. So to your point, Sean, yeah, I think that it's also possible that they might, uh, you know, exactly say, oh, she's 82. She's, you know, she's losing her marbles a little bit. You know, sort of the same arguments that some people are making against Biden. Yeah, you, you will be certain absolutely to see that no matter what happens, even if she doesn't come. Mm. And we have to take a short break now here on this week's Taiwan This Week on ICRT, but we will return after these rather important commercials. And welcome back to Taiwan This Week here on ICRT. And the Ministry of Foreign Affairs on Monday announced that the government has received an official notification from Japan on the upcoming state funeral of assassinated former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe. Ministry spokeswoman Joanne O told reporters that her office is currently making preparations to send a delegation to the event. However, she didn't release any details concerning who will be representing Taiwan, saying only that more details will be announced later. Now, those statements come after Japan's foreign minister last Friday said that Tokyo will inform Taiwan of a schedule for the state funeral. Now, of course, Vice President William Lai visited Japan earlier this month to attend a private funeral service for Abe on July the 12th in a private capacity. But, Sean, who could they send to the big state funeral? 
Well, Obviously, certain people are a no-no for obvious reasons. Uh, okay, let's let's talk about some no-nos. Like, let's say President Tsai. I don't think they were going to send anybody. I mean, because this funeral, there's still going to be discussions back and forth between Taiwan and Japan on, you know, the itineraries who can go, et cetera, et cetera. And one thing I know Japan will definitely do is make sure that Abe State funeral in this quote-unquote funeral diplomacy will not be overshadowed by Taiwan, and that would happen if. You know, let's just say President Tsai went to visit. China will make a loud noise out about it, and the whole world will just talk about this. So I think it will be somebody that's low key, probably not a repeat. It could be almost anyone, but it's not going to be uh, probably not Lai again.、Um, there could be so many other people that、uh, the DPP could possibly send.、Uh, that's because Abe has met a lot of.、Uh, I believe he has met privately, or he has had correspondence with the DPP in the past. So、um, we're not certain exactly who. They can、uh, send. There's a lot of speculation out there, but I, I personally,、um, you know,、um, I'm not as good as let's say Donovan Smith, Courtney Donovan Smith, who will have a, a a great idea of who they might send. But what I do think is that it won't be somebody who is controversial that will overshadow this state funeral. Well, to Sean's point about overshadowing, yeah,、uh, when it was、uh, sent out, the government of Japan. Said、uh, it will send the、uh, funeral schedule to diplomatic allies, and then they put as well as to Taiwan, Hong Kong, Macau, Palestine, and other NGOs. So it's clear that Sean is correct in this regard that they are definitely not wanting Taiwan to overshadow this. So Taiwan is a non-starter, and、um, you know there's a possibility that it could even be uh, uh, perhaps a former official from maybe not a DPP、uh, government. It's, it's very very hard to predict.、Um, the most obvious candidate would be、uh, Frank Shear because he's、uh, Mr. Japan. But、um, yeah. This one is—it's、uh, it, tailor-made for the vice president. Obviously, that's, you send vice presidents to funerals. That's kind of what they do. But he's just been there, so it doesn't look like he'll—he'll he'll be the next one. But yeah, question marks all around. I do think it might be Shea, but you know, we'll see when it finally happens. I mean, it could be Morris Jung. <laughs> yes, it could be—it could be—it、uh, could be a lot of people. <laughs> Anyway, it won't be Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> <laughs> And while U.S.-Taiwan-China matters were splattered over the front pages of the newspapers for most of this week, another story that was splattered all over the front pages of the local newspapers was that of former Shinju Mayor and DPP Taoyuan mayoral candidate Lin Jiujian. Well, he was back in the headlines because, of course, he's already facing allegations of plagiarism related to two thesis papers. But on Sunday and onto Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, Lin was facing further ire in some of the local newspapers following the closure of the newly reopened Shinju Baseball Stadium. Now, the Chinese Professional Baseball League suspended games there on Sunday. Following complaints that its infield dirt was too soft and posed a safety risk to players, and also that the pitcher's mound was problematic. Now the stadium was only reopened last Friday following a multi-year renovation project, and according to the CPBL, it opted to postpone all the games at the stadium in order to protect players' safety and allow sufficient time to fix the problems. Needless to say, the problems were jumped on 
by the KMT, which on Monday accused the former Shinzu City Mayor of reopening the stadium for political reasons. Those political reasons being, of course, ahead of the November elections. Now, Lin has since accepted full responsibility for the problems. And writing on his Facebook page this week, he said he fully understands that he's let baseball fans down and also local people with fond memories of the 40-year-old stadium. And he went on to say that the Shinzu City government has now established a team to oversee improvements and is working closely with a contractor employed on the renovation project as well as the Weichun Dragons team which adopted the stadium for its games. Now the Shinzu District Prosecutor's Office has also launched an investigation into the alleged flaws at the stadium. So of course Michael, not the first time a stadium has come into play here with problems or any any type of infrastructure project has had problems and not the first time a politician has been dragged into the fray. No, absolutely not. Uh, we had a problem down here in Kaohsiung with, uh, uh, I believe, both the World Game Stadium and then one other one as well that went up. Uh, uh, but the, the the opposition KMT uh, needs to be careful uh, if they want to start uh, talking about corruption related to government projects and uh, unfinished or unsafe uh, buildings or the like, because uh, if you want to go back and, and, and chalk up uh, uh, a tally, uh, it won't necessarily reflect good on their side. And um, I'm happy with the response from the uh, former Shinzo mayor. It seems pretty much exactly what you should say. Um, yeah, it looks like I made a mistake. Um, I'm going to do something about it, and uh, we'll move forward. And um, I don't agree with the commentators who are uh, saying that this is gloom and doom for his campaign for Taoyuan. I think we will forget about this in about, I don't know, 10 seconds after this program finishes airing. And it will move on. And, of course, the KMT in uh, Taoyuan will bring this up over and over again. But the other side will just bring up another one, and people have, have, have stopped listening to this sort of stuff a long time ago. So if he follows through with uh, what he says he's going to do and we see some improvements. Uh, you know, he's got, what, three months here to go before an election. So uh, he doesn't, to me, seem mortally wounded in any way. Oh, I totally agree. And after all, this stadium has been under renovation since 2019. It was supposed to be scheduled to be done around 2021, but there was the pandemic, and everyone understands that. Plus, also, this isn't like there's a giant structural problem with the stadium itself. This is just the infield skin. That said, and this brought me into a little rabbit hole, infield skin maintenance is probably 80% of the work needed by groundskeepers, and it is their most challenging task. So it is not unheard of to have uneven ground, uh, uh, you know, infields. It's also not as extreme as Japanese fine gardens, but after watching an hour of YouTube videos on what groundskeepers do, I have a newfound respect for infield maintenance. It's a laborious task that needs time and expertise and a whole team and money. We're talking things like clay density, a half percent slope for rainwater flow from the infield turf to the outfield turf, grass slope being 1%, water erosion, evaporation, sand, clay, silt balance, ten even 10 centimeters of infield depth to try to make sure that it's this whole technical thing that requires all this equipment, money, you're talking about tons of people with rakes and whatever, you know, using specialized laser levels to make sure that everything is, you know, perfectly done. So a new brand new stadium with infield problems yeah you know what yes it's probably true they should have had like a couple more weeks to deal with this but it will be solved it just takes time money and maintenance but 
it will happen. This is not something that can't be fixed. It's sort of like complaining that the grass is a little too yellow on the fields, you know. And uh, that is another hour of YouTube videos of you know industrial maintenance for baseball fields. So I, I think this is much ado about nothing. KMT again needs to find something because there's an election coming up. They will find every little thing to complain about. If so much as uh, uh, somebody picks their nose on camera, you can bet they will be making an ad about that. But there are commentators, Sean, this week who said, oh, this will affect Lin's campaign because there are so many baseball fans in Taiwan. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Now I'm sort of a infield skin maintenance fan, uh, learning about all the laser levels and equipment. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah, people will be disappointed, but these things happen. I mean, look at what happened in Hong Kong just the other day, uh, a, a huge display, you know, because of you know, problems there uh, uh, crashed on somebody and, and, and hit a dancer and all these things. These are these are complicated big field events and things, you know. Um, this is the least of the major problems that you have there. Uh, I think that news, uh, I think there was a group called Mirror, who's currently very popular in Hong Kong, or the most popular, and the footage of that was just shocking. You know, watching a dancer almost getting crushed by a giant screen, you know, being held up by wires. And, you know, that I think I've seen much more coverage on in Taiwan than this. So yeah, any sort of little thing comes up, uh, you know, grandma, some truck drivers, or something like that, you'll see definitely just as much coverage sooner or later uh, down the line. <laughs> and, you would need to. You would need. They would need to prove, or at least have some decent evidence that shows there was corruption involved, and that Lin was involved in that somehow, for this to be anything more than, than exactly what Sean is describing. And as we see it right now, it just seems to be a bit of, perhaps, incompetence at the, at the, at the worst. Uh, Maybe, but it's also just difficulty, because, you know, they say that you have to have 60% sand and 20% clay and 20% silt balance, and then you have to adjust it a little depending on the temperature, humidity, blah, blah, blah. This is just the natural course of things, you know? It's kind of like you open a new building and you're complaining literally about the garden they have in the back you know it's almost like that and it's just not something that's easily controlled and it's definitely not Lynn's fault but, but it, it is a mistake we can't we can't whitewash the fact that he if he was responsible for this as mayor that he should have hired a team that knows these things we're not expecting Lynn to understand these things so he took responsibility because he should take responsibility and I, he was I in charge and these things that you just mentioned and all the slopes and all of that, that's who you hired to do this, and whoever they hired clearly didn't get it right. So yeah. it's a mistake. These are, I agree. It is a mistake, but I think in the bigger picture of things, it's not that big of a deal. They'll find a way. I'm sure you know some baseball fans will remember this and be like, ah, well, my plans got ruined. Uh, now I have to go to a farther stadium. But in the bigger picture of things, you know, uh, it turns out that you know, infield skin maintenance is rather complicated. And even in the U.S., they don't always get it right either. And sometimes they have to cancel games and whatnot because they can't get the infield right. So, uh, you know, they, he might have maybe spent more money on finding a more complicated uh, or much more expensive contractor with expertise from the world. But then they might just as easily complain that he spent too much money or, you know, say that, why did you have to need outside help? We can't maintain this here. There's, in Taiwan, we're always able to make a controversy out of everything. 
and a Lithuania official has been cited as saying that the Baltic country is planning to open its trade office in Taiwan in September. The Baltic Times has cited Lithuania's Vice Economy and Innovation Minister as saying that the government in Vilnius is hoping to open the trade representative office in Taipei on September the 12th. Now, setting up at the trade office is part of a deal signed in July of last year between Taipei and Vilnius, under which both sides agreed to further their bilateral ties and open de facto embassies in each other's capital. Now, of course, Taiwan opened one last year, and Sean, Lithuania is opening a representative office here in September in the, in the World Trade Center building. Yeah, that's fantastic because that's where a lot of um, around that area in Xinyi, there's a lot of trade representative offices. The Moscow trade office is literally across the street. Uh, the German uh, the, the German office is right inside Taipei 101. So yeah, there's it's great. I mean, it's it's just our loc- one of the locations that we have many of these uh, trade representative offices. Um, it's about time in terms of the name, which I think is the big difference. Um, sure, it sounds great. Uh, I think. Uh, little by little, I'm glad that somebody like uh, or a nation like Lithuania is standing up to uh, China's bullying. But uh, at the same time, it's always fantastic when Taiwan makes another friend. Uh, yes, direct diplomatic recognition is obviously the most desired, but it's also practic- impractical in these conditions due to the aggressive nature of our neighbor. So uh, it's I think it's a great thing. I think uh, in Taiwan, people are huge fans of Lithuania and Lithuanian people. Uh, you know, chocolate ice creams are sold. Every- you can buy uh, Lithuanian, I think, ice creams at Family Mart. So that's, I think, the overall sentiment is just really positive. We're happy to have new friends, and they seem to happy to have us as friends too. Right. So uh, Sean mentioned that diplomatic allies would be the the, the top one, and I guess I, I concur with that. But in a way, maybe not. Uh, no disrespect to our some of our allies, but we we have some that are island nations with, I don't know, 150,000 or 300,000 people or whatever, and it's nice that they recognize Taiwan, but a country like Lithuania is really what we should be targeting. This is a place that doesn't have a huge trade relationship with China in the way that, you know, say, a larger uh, European state does, but is a member of the EU. So it makes it very complicated for the EU and China, which is to our benefit. So in other words, the EU would probably prefer that Lithuania didn't anger China by uh, using Taiwan in, in, in the name or Taiwanese in the name, but Lithuania is going to do it. And if we could get more of these smaller European countries uh, or countries from other parts of the world as well that have uh, relations with larger countries to, to make steps like this, it's, it's going to be, in my view, uh, much more useful than perhaps uh, a few island nation uh, recognizing uh, the Republic of China. It would be nice if those island nations could also add Taiwan onto their names of their representative offices down the line. (laughs) And maybe Lithuania might be that domino. Who knows? Uh, It would also be nice if other nations like the United States, uh, you know, AIT, could have a new change as well in their name, too. I don't think it's going to happen. But it sets a precedent. So slowly but surely, I think uh, treating Taiwan a little bit normally is a good thing. It's because you have, again, if, if our neighbor you know, authoritarian government didn't quite exist or wasn't so aggressive against Taiwan, uh, this would be normal day to day. We wouldn't even be talking about it. So I think, uh, you know, the reason why this is a thing is really because of our giant neighbor. 
And before we go this week, the judiciary went on Tuesday to release the results of its latest survey regarding public support for the lay judge system that's set to be implemented on January the 1st of next year. Now, according to the survey, 82.2% of respondents said they agree that the system would advance the judiciary here. Now, that was an increase from 81.7% in a similar survey last year and an increase from 64% in a 2020 survey. Now, the latest survey also showed that a mere 13.7% of respondents said they disagreed that it will advance the judiciary. Now, Judiciary Wen spokesman Jiang Yonghong told reporters that the government has obviously been making big efforts to inform the public about the lay judge system, and he says that those efforts have obviously paid off real big. Sean? Oh, yeah, I think civilian representation uh, when it comes to, especially given Taiwan's history of having, you know, martial law or judges that have gone uh, uh, off-kilter, we've all seen or some of us have seen uh, videos of judges just going way off uh, in Taiwan, that it is a fantastic thing to have civilians involved in making, uh, you know, big decisions on what should happen to people, Uh, especially, you know, um, you know, big criminal cases and stuff, which can really affect people's lives. Uh, uh, But that said, um, I'm so certain there's going to be people complaining about this when it happens, right? I mean, this is a great idea. Civilian participation, yes, we want that in big decisions, especially since Taiwan had the second longest period of martial law. But then now you have this other issue where people are going to complain when they're forced to join as a lay judge. It's kind of like jury duty in the United States. What? I have to take three days off to do this, but I've got work to do. You know, my job depends on this. I've got this big project. You know, what? This is what you're going to pay me just to show up in court for three days? This is not worth it. You know, I'm going to... And then, you know, this being Taiwan, people are going to make drama out of this. They're going to say things like, oh, you can't believe my entire family's collapsing. I'm crying. You know, I can't do three days of lay judge jury duty. Please don't do this to me. It's painful torture. That's Taiwan. Um, this is the cost of democracy, I think. It's better than having, you know, uh, crazy judges, some of them left over from the martial law area, handing down, uh, uh, you know, um, <laughs> handing down uh, dubious, sentences. Dubious sentences, I think you're looking for. D- yes, I, I didn't want to say that, but yes, <laughs> that word, yeah, very, I don't want to erode trust in our judicial system, but, you know, uh, yeah, the, there's been a lot of judges that, that, I've seen this video once where there was this one judge, I don't know what happened to him but it seemed like he had a bad week and he's just tearing into people unnecessarily you know and is that really what we want no we need civilian oversight of our judicial system and michael of course they people said they support the system but how many people in the general public do you think actually understand the lay judge system Right. Uh, that's a, a separate issue. But uh, I agree that the government has done a pretty decent job in educating people as to what this means. Um, I also agree with Sean that uh, the, the complaining is going to be an issue. Uh, perhaps baseball is not the national pastime of Taiwan, but rather complaining is. Uh, people do complain uh, quite uh, virulently. I can't pronounce the word correctly. But yes, it, there, there's going to be a lot of complaints about it. It's, it's a little bit confusing still to a few people that I've talked to, because you've got six of these lay judges, right? And then if all six of them agree that the person is guilty and one of the professional judges agrees with them, then the verdict goes through, which I find uh, quite interesting, because uh, if, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, Sean, usually there's three judges, right, that are sitting uh, to, to hear a criminal case? Yes. 
So just one of those, along with the lay judges, could decide the guilt or innocence of a person. And uh, if it's a death penalty case or a case where it's uh, over 10 years in prison or a serious crime, uh, you will, after January 2023, you will have to have these lay judges there. They are not allowed to hear court cases about minors or about drugs. They have to be over 23 years old and I think under 70 years old. And there are also um, loopholes where you can argue that you, you, you know, for some reason you have a hardship, you're a single parent or something, and, and you can get out. But the government has done a decent job in explaining why we need this. And this goes back to 2020 when the Thai administration first brought this up and pushed this through. And um, in the end, uh, Sean is completely right. We have a problem with what is frequently called here in Taiwan dinosaur judges. And just people that are completely out of the loop. You get one sentence for a crime where seven years for murder, and then the guy over here is charged with uh, something much more severe, or and he gets uh, two years. And it's just totally so. Having these people there will be a, uh, a stabilizing factor. And when I've read um, legal theories as to like what would be awesome, so one person proposed that the best system ever would be to have professional jurists where. Each each one is a lawyer, and their name is picked out of a hat, and they're placed on different cases, and they choose, and they understand the law. And there's something to be said for that, because law is getting more complicated as we go into technology and all of these 21st century issues that are very, very difficult for sometimes for people to understand. But it's also a pretty impractical idea. So secondly comes juries, and Taiwan has stated that it is working towards an, a normal uh, jury system. And then the third would be this lay jury system, which is in in place in about a dozen countries around the world. So I'm happy with it. I would much rather put my fate in the hands of six lay judges and three professional judges than three judges. So uh, it's a step forward, a major step forward. And that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined today here in Taipei by Sean Su. That's great to be back. And from Kaohsiung by Michael Smith. Have a nice weekend. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.